Amen. While well, we are in the book of Deuteronomy, and as uh, we go uh, through the book, uh, we find ourselves today in chapter 7. And as I mentioned to you earlier, that today's message is on separation. And uh, we're going to get into details regarding this message of separation. But, you know, the message that God has given to the Jews on separation, it's not just in the Old Testament, but when we go through the New Testament, we also see for ourselves that, you know what, God has called us to be a separate people. And I want to begin by reading this in the New Testament. And if we would all turn our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we can read it for ourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. As we know that, you know, this book was written to the church that was in Corinth. We know that there were believers there, and we know that uh, Paul planted the church there. And one of the things that he was reminding them of was to be separate, because they are holy. They were not to be unequally yoked. And we know that when there is a yoke that goes on, we know one thing is that, you know, a yoke is put on animals, right? So that they can work together to accomplish a task, to labor, to do something. And so when we are talking about yoked together or unequally yoked, one thing that we know is that God doesn't want us working together with the non-believer. And let's read this so that we can get a better sense and an understanding of what the Lord is trying to share with us. Here in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us but you are restricted by your own affections. In other words, you know what? They do what they want. And instead of listening to God's word and being obedient to God's word, they're led by their flesh, by their own affections. And verse 13 says, Now in return for the same, I speak as to children. You also be open. Be open to the message that I'm going to give you, is what Paul is saying. Verse 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has a temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. This is what the Lord is telling us. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You know, when we read this, I believe we all get a good sense of what the Lord is trying to tell us. You know what? He doesn't want believers being yoked with unbelievers. You know what he talks about? I mean, he gives us wonderful illustrations here. And he talks about righteousness. You know, we've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. You and I are righteous because of Christ. And we know that those that haven't surrendered themselves to Jesus Christ, they haven't been cleansed by the blood. They haven't been made righteous. And so he says, you know what? What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? You know, he goes on to say, what accord has Christ with Belial, which was another name for Satan? You know what, what accord? They're not uh, uh, brought together. They're not of one accord. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? You know, the agreement that one has as we are the temple of God, we are not in agreement with the idols that others worship. And so as we see here, you know what, that we are not to be unequally yoked. And why is this the case as we've been reading? Because we're opposite people. You know, we're not like the world. We're not as, as non-believers. You know, we have different hearts and different minds. You know, we come from two different worlds. We have different masters. Understand that we have a different master. Those that are surrendered to the Lord, their master is who? It is the Lord, Right? And those that haven't surrendered themselves to the Lord, who is their master if it's not the Lord? It's the devil. And this is what he's talking about here. And some people find that offensive because they say, you know what? My master is not the devil. 
Why, if your master's not God, then guess who your master is? See, one thing that we know, according to the word of God, God has made us holy. It's not nothing in ourselves. You and I, we're not holy by nature. It is the spirit of God. It is our surrender to Jesus Christ. When we come to him in faith, you and I are made holy. This is why we can have fellowship with God. Because you and I have been made holy. And if God is holy, the only way to have fellowship with the holy God is, if for, is that we would also become holy. I believe that many of us have been around people that are different than us. As believers, for those of you that have been believers, you know what, when you surrender yourself to the Lord and you walk with the Lord, and then you start hanging out with the world or with the people you used to hang out with, you know what, when you're not doing those things anymore, and then you come back to them and you start hanging out with them, and what's the first thing they want to do? They want to do the things you used to do. They want to go party. They want to go drink beer. They want to go do, you know what, let's go smoke. Let's go, let's go take a toke of some pot or whatever, whatever it is. You know what, they're asking you to be a part of this again. See, their ways are not our ways anymore. The way they do things aren't the way we do things anymore. And the things that they want to do are sin. And why is it that they want to do sin? Because they're guided by a different master. And today the Lord is going to speak to us. He's going to set out His plan for His people. A plan of separation. But it is not isolation. We always must remember that as Christians, we are not to isolate ourselves from others. If we were to isolate ourselves from others, then we know that we could never be light in darkness. We could never bring salt. We could never be the salt that brings flavor to this world. And we know one thing as we're going to go through the word today. When we do what God says, we're going to receive blessings. We're going to be fruitful. We're going to multiply. But as we talk on separation, we know one thing. That a little leaven, and leaven is what? It represents sin. A, le a little leaven leavens a whole lump. And we know one thing, that if we start hanging out with non-believers, with the world, we're going to do as they do. I want you to know one thing. When it comes to sin, sin spreads easily. It's like cancer. You know, it doesn't take long for cancer to spread throughout the body. And it doesn't take long for people to get corrupted by other people. You know, you know many times, you know, you, we have uh, children or even ourselves. You know, when we see our children going astray, or our children doing things that they shouldn't do, or even ourselves doing things that we shouldn't do. We can easily look at their lives and who they're hanging out with. And it'll show you why they're going astray. It'll show you why they're going the other way. Why they've gone on the wrong path. It is because of who they're hanging out with. This is what happens. And the Bible tells us this. It's very clear on this. And this is what's so amazing is that God forewarns us of this very thing. In 1 Corinthians 15.33, it tells us, Do not be deceived. You know what? None of us should be deceived. It tells us here that evil company corrupts good habits. This is what the Bible tells us. It says, don't be deceived by anyone else or by any other voice that you hear or by the friends I want to hang out with you. Don't be deceived. If they are, are non-believers, they will be behaving like non-believers. They will be walking in evil, walking in wickedness, walking in sin. And we know that, as the Word of God says, evil company corrupts good habits. And you and I, we've been called to be separate. You know what? You and I have been called to be separate. And why are we called to be separate? Because you and I are different. Understand one thing about our difference. You know, because some people will say, you know what? You're different. And because you're different, one thing that we know is that we can easily draw people to Christ. Because of our nature, it's different than others. See, I, wanna, I want to sort of talk to you about being odd and different. See, one thing that for us as Christians, we're not odd. 
I want you to understand that because odd can be repulsive. You know, when you see somebody behaving oddly or somebody that is odd, it can be repulsive, right? You're like, what's up with these guys? Or what's up with these girls? Or what's up with them, right? I mean, look at them. They're odd. They're re- they could be repulsive. But when you're different, there is something that is good with that. See, because people that are different can be very contagious. And I want you to understand that. See, we can attract other people because we are different. See, because we behave differently, we do things that are different. We don't do what the world does. And people are attracted to that. People are drawn to people that are, you know what, that behave righteously, that do the right thing. And that is the difference that is in us. We strive to do what is right. We know that the only way to do this is by the power of God, and we have God that dwells in us. And this is what attracts people. You know what, have people ever told you, for those of you that are believers that have been walking with the Lord, has anyone ever told you, you know what, you talk differently. You know what, no foul language is coming out of your mouth. You don't talk like everybody else. Why? Or you know what, you're not, you're not doing the things that I do. You know what, you're not, you're not talking about girls or you're not talking about guys, about partying and all that stuff. You know what, you don't do that stuff. Or, or you're not stealing and and cheating, and you know what, and you're not doing this and doing that. You know what, you're different than they are. And this is what attracts people to you. You're that light that shines in darkness. We know that we're the salt that brings flavor to this world. And with that, we're going to begin, as the Lord has prepared our hearts for the message that He has from the book of Deuteronomy. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Last week we finished chapter 6 and just so all of you know the book of Deuteronomy, what it is 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 Moses just telling the events of what the Jews have gone through, what the Israelites have gone through. He's told them exactly, you know what, what's happened to the first generation because the first generation have all passed away. And this new generation is a second generation. You know what, and the second generation is ready to go into the promised land. And so what Moses is saying, he's saying, you know what? He's telling them all the events that have taken place. And of course, he's repeating the things that God has asked his people to do and what he's expecting of them. And so with that, let's begin to read in verse 1. It says that when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites, Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites, and the Parasites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. You know, what stands out here is the fact that God is going to cast out these people. The enemies of Israel will be cast out by the hand of God. They're going to be delivered by God. And you know what? God is saying because I have delivered you. God is saying because I have protected you. Because I am giving you all of this thing. You know what? I expect something from you. And the only thing that God is expecting from His people is for them to obey Him. You know what, that is the least they can do, right? I mean, to think that, you know what, that we as a people have been delivered, that we as a people have been provided for, that we've been guided, that we've been taken care of, that we've been blessed by God. The least we can do is do as He says. And this is what the Lord is telling His people. You know what, if God has done this for them, you know what, He says, I want you to do what I say. And we know that He lists here seven groups of people. And these were all enemies of Israel. They were the Canaanites. And these seven groups were much greater and mightier than the Jews. But one thing that we can read here is we say is what the Lord says, right? He says, you know what? I want you to utterly destroy them. You know, for some of us, we may think, man, you know what, God? Why are you asking the Jews to completely wipe them out? You may be thinking to yourself, man, this is, uh, 
I mean, this is a God that we serve. Why would he say to destroy these people? To wipe them out. And this includes, you know, parents, fathers, mothers, children, everything you wipe out. See, there is a reason why the Lord has asked to totally destroy them. And we're going to look at these reasons. There's three reasons. And the first one is given to us in Deuteronomy chapter 9. If you move over two chapters, and if you look at verse 4, it gives us insight as to why they are to be totally destroyed. In verse 4 it says, Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, Because of my righteousness... The Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of those nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness. He's telling the Jews, it's not because of the, anything you've done or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord God drives them out from before you. And that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. One thing about these people is these people were wicked. You know, these people were horrible. You know what? One thing about these people is that these people were just bad. Bad people that needed to be wiped out. One thing that you will find regarding these people, if you do a study on the Canaanites, one thing that you will find out about their religion, their literature, and through archaeological findings, what we have found out is that these people were terrible. They were evil and they were wicked. It's just not the Lord saying it, but in excavating and the findings that we have about the Canaanite people, it reflects that these people were evil and wicked. And so the Lord says, you know what, we got to wipe them out. I want us to go back to chapter 7 because there's a second reason why. And it's in verse 10. And in verse 10 it says, or let's read verse 9, but in 10 it, it talks about their nature. Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps a covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. And He repays those who hate Him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. One thing about the Canaanites is they hated God. They hated God. They wanted nothing to do with God. And one thing we know about people that repent, I want you to know one thing is that God will accept them. If these Canaanites in their hearts, if they wanted to repent, you know what the Lord would have done with them? The Lord would have received them. He would have embraced them. He would have provided for them. He would have just blessed them and done everything that He'd done for the Jews. He would have done for them. We talked about this, right, in this past Sunday. That He wants everyone to come to repentance. There's not one person that He doesn't want to come to repentance. Though some may not think so. But God wants everyone to come to repentance. He wants everyone to come to Him, ask Him for forgiveness, and turn from their sins. If you want to know the heart of God when it comes to a non-believer, I'm going to read this to you. It's from Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 32. And this is what the Lord says. The Lord says, For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. In other words, God takes no pleasure in somebody that dies, in somebody that, that experiences death separation from Him. He doesn't take pleasure in that, as some may think. He wants everybody to come to repentance. This is how He finishes this verse. He says, For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord. Therefore, turn and live. God desires that every sinner would turn from his wicked ways and experience life in Him. You know, these people, these Canaanites, they wanted nothing to do with the Lord. And we know the third reason why he had to get rid of these evil, wicked people. First of all, they were wicked. Secondly, they hated God. And thirdly, if he kept them alive, guess what they would do with the Jews? If they lived with him, they would contaminate them. They would corrupt them. They would be like that cancer that spreads. 
And this is what we're going to be talking about. The instruction that we read right now in Deuteronomy 7, he says, you know what? Make no covenant. In other words, he says, make no agreements with them. Make no deals with them. Don't be yoked with them. Make no business with them. Don't come together with them. And this is what we read also, right? In the New Testament. Isn't this what God had instructed us to do? As the church, as believers? He knows why. See, the problem with that is, you know what? If you begin to come together with them, if you intermarry with them, then guess what? They will contaminate you. Their ways and their thoughts. You know, as we have come out on the radio, you know, one of the agreements we had here as, as the Lord had put upon my heart regarding Calvary Radio, because, you know, well, we were looking for sponsors, sponsors that would come on the radio station, you know, that they could advertise themselves as they would fund this radio station. And one of the agreements that we made was that anybody that would want to advertise their business or their themselves on that radio, they themselves would also have to be Christians. There is no way that we would want to come together with non-believers. And so we're just following exactly what the Lord would want us to do. One thing that we know is we have to be of the same mind. We have to be connected by the same Spirit. And we know that this is the only way that God has instructed us to be. You know, one thing that we know, as he told them here, he says, you know what? I want you making no deals with them. I don't want you to show them mercy. And the reason for this, and it's important for us to understand, is that what was going on here was a holy war. And what I mean by a holy war is the people of God were in a battle. They were in a war to possess the land that God gave them. See, they were in a holy war. They were, they were fighting for the right to possess the land that, they, that God gave them. And God says that when you take that land, I want you to be separate from the world. And many times people would want to come in and to conquer them and to take their land. And so they were in a holy war. I want you to understand about the church today. See, there is a difference between the Israelites at this time and the church today. The church today is not in a holy war. You know, God at the time was building what? A nation, right? He was, he was, he was building a nation. He was bringing these people to their land that He gave them. And He was building a nation. Today, God is building what? He's building His church. But we are not in war with people today. And you may think to yourself, but I have people that come against me and, and people that come against the church and people that come against me and come against us. And, and aren't we at war with them? You know, we all go through this, right? We all say, you know what? Some of my family members hate me. Some of my friends hate me. And you know what? And they're just on me all the time. I'm, am I not in a battle with them? I want us to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And this will shed the light as to what kind of battles we have. In Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 10. Oh, I'm sorry, in verse 12. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So it already tells us, you know what? Our enemies are not people. We're not in a holy war. He says, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So what we see here is that we are in a spiritual battle. We are not in a holy war. Okay, you and I go through a spiritual battle. And the people that come against us, it's not them. It's the spirit behind them that is leading them to come against us. That's why Paul says, your battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against these powers and principalities and the rulers of the darkness of this age and the spiritual host of wickedness. As we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, let's keep reading in verse 3. It says, Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. 
as we read this, the same instruction that he gave them was the same instruction that we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. One thing about Christians is sometimes we look at the physical, don't we? And what I mean by this is that we're not looking at God's word when maybe somebody is, is single and they're looking for a mate. They look on the outside a lot of times. And Christians are attracted to non-believers. And it shouldn't be this way. See, one thing that we know is that Christians will be attracted because of the way people appear. Today, you have Christians that are attracted to Justin Bieber. Right? How many of your kids or children are attracted to the, him? You know what? I have a niece that calls herself a Christian and she loves this guy. She goes crazy over him. Or they're attracted to celebrities that are non-believers. See, this is contrary to the will of God for our lives. See, the Lord says in His Word, not only to the church, but He said it to the Jews, not to marry. He says, don't give your daughters or take their daughters for your sons. Why is that? Verse 4 tells us, For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. You know, this is being unequally yoked. You know what? We should tell our children, remind them of this verse. Not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. His mind doesn't change. And it's important that we, as parents, instruct our kids on the dangers of this, and we have the reason why. He says, because they're going to turn away from me. You know, it's important to understand this. God told us, don't be equally yoked. He also tells us, you know what? Anybody that's unequally yoked, you have the problem or you have the possibility of being turned away from following the Lord. You want to look at somebody that went to an extreme? A Christian, a follower of the Lord, I should say a Jew, a, a Judeo-Christian that served God and fell away from Him. How many know of King Solomon here? King Solomon had how many wives? He had 700 wives and he had 300 concubines. Imagine, he had a thousand girls, wives and concubines. You know, that's a lot. I mean, to think that, that's a lot. I'll leave it at that. And what did these non-believing wives and concubines do to the heart of Solomon? They turned him from the Lord. They turned his heart away from God. If you read 1 Kings chapter 11, it talks about this. It talks about how King Solomon, because of these wives and these women that he had in his life, how they turned him away from the Lord to sin and into idolatry. And we know at the end of his life, none of us really know if he ever came to repentance. The Bible, according to 1 Kings 11, it shows us that he never did. And why was this? Because he was unequally yoked. I'm going to share this with you. There are so many Christians that are deceived into thinking to themselves that they will be used to convert the non-believer. Right? We know people like that. I know people like that. See, they fall in love with the non-believer. And in their minds, they're thinking, you know what, I'm going to be the one to be used by God to bring them to the Lord. 
Well, one thing that I want you to know is that this is a lie of the devil. It contradicts the perfect will of God. I'm going to share this with you. I have seen where marriages, where non-believing husbands or wives do come to the Lord, and it does happen. But there's other times that it doesn't. And why do we want to take that chance? Why do we want to take that risk? And, second, and, and most of all, why do we want to disobey the command of the Lord? I want you to know one thing. If you ever want to know the pain and the suffering that a believing wife or husband go through with an unbelieving spouse, talk to them. I want you to, I mean, there are some in this church today that go through this. The pain and the hardship and the sorrows that they have because of being unequally yoked. And if you ever want to be counseled in regards to this, you can talk to them and they will share this with you. Understand too, one thing, that these two different worlds, they do collide and there is a bad explosion and it leads to a lot of pain. I know this brings up another point. Okay, what if we are married and I come to the Lord and my spouse doesn't? Does that give me the right to say bye-bye, you know, so long, you know, I get to leave you now? I mean, you're giving me just so much pain that, you know what, I'm a believer. Can I leave, Can I leave you now? The Word of God doesn't say that. The Word tells us that God hates divorce. I want us to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and this will answer your question. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 12, and as a reminder, this is for those that one of you come to the Lord. You know, my wife and I, we both came to the Lord as non-believers. What's so amazing is that we both became believers. I think it was a month apart. You know, my wife had fallen back into the world. And when I met her, she was a non-believer. But one thing I know is that she always kept telling me to come back to the Lord. And so I was the first one actually to come back to the Lord. And then she went back a month later or a few weeks after that and gave herself to the Lord. But there are those times that it may not happen this way. And if it doesn't happen this way, this is the instruction of the Lord. If we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12, it says, But to the rest, I, not the Lord. In other words, the Lord is speaking here. If any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And the woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. <clears throat> the Lord doesn't want you to divorce. One thing that we know is that the Lord wants you to show your spouse the change that has happened to you. To be that light and that salt, to draw them to the Lord. But one thing that we also know is that if your unbelieving spouse abandons you, did you know that you are free to marry again? If your non-believing spouse abandons a believer because of his faith, you are free. You are free once again to marry. And that is, if we keep reading, we can see that in verse 15, it says, But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. So in other words, you know what? You're no longer an adulterer or an adulteress. And that is because of this. And we also know that there's another reason, another way that you are free and you are not called an adulterer or an adulteress is when your spouse commits sexual immorality and they don't want to stop. You have the right to divorce them. And you have the right by the word of God to do so. 
So what happens in this situation if you're married and you have an unbelieving spouse? As we read, you, 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 you remain married and you just pray and pray and pray. And you hope that your godliness will bring them to repentance. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 5. It says, but thus... You shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. You know what? I love what the Lord says here. He says, destroy, break down, cut down, and burn. You know what? He tells them, you know what? Take down this stuff and don't have anything to do with it. Anything that was used to worship these false gods, Take it down. You know, he tells the Jews, leave nothing standing that represents their sins. When it comes to sin and things that cause people to sin, we don't keep them. We destroy them. You know what? I remember when I came to the Lord and we were a few years in the Lord and the Lord put it upon my wife's heart to destroy all of our books, our records, or at the time I think it would have been cassettes. I don't think CDs were out. And records was way too back. And it was an 8-track, so I'm not that old. So it was cassettes, I think, or CDs. Whatever it was. No, it was cassettes. And we had, t and we had movies. And we had books. And we had these things that didn't glorify God. These things were from my, our past lives. And God had put it upon my wife's heart. He tells her, you know what? I want you to burn all this stuff, to destroy it, to throw it away. And my wife tells me that, and I'm thinking, man, these things cost us a lot of money. And I asked her, I said, you think we could sell them? She says, no, we're throwing them away. And you know what? I was in agreement. So we got all the stuff, and what we did is we took it and we threw it away. And this is what... The Lord is saying here, he's saying, you know what? These things that were used to worship, these things, these idols, I want you to, to burn them, destroy them, break them down, cut them down. And then verse 6 goes on to say, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. You know what we see here? is we see three reasons for this. And you know what's so awesome about this? Is he says, you know what? The reason you do these things is because first, you are a holy people. And what does the word holy mean? Holy means to be set apart, right? Isn't that what the word means? It means to be set apart. You know what? You've been set apart for the Lord. Not for anyone else, but for God only. And no one thing is because you are a holy people and you belong to me because I am holy, that means that you are holy. And if you belong to a holy God, then you must do as he commands. And the second reason he says is because you're a chosen people. You know what? He chose these people for himself. You know what? God had to reveal himself through a certain people. We know that for a fact, right? How was God going to come into this world in the form of a man to be born into this world? He had to choose a nation to come through. And you know what nation he decided to choose? He chose the Jews. And because he chose the Jews, he says, you know what? I expect you to do what I say. And then he calls the Jews a special treasure above all peoples. When we think about being about treasure, you know what? Treasures are, are, you know what? Are just things of great value, aren't they? You know, if we were to find a treasure, you know what? Especially today, if we were to find something that is worth value, I mean, imagine what it would be, how much money it would be. You know, when the Lord calls us or calls the Jews a special treasure, he looks at them the same way. They're of great value to me. These people, these Jews are a great value. And because of this, you know what? I expect them to do what I say. You know what? They're my treasure. They're my value. And you know what? It's amazing that 
that these people are holy and chosen and a special treasure to the Lord. And, and you know what? He's done so much for them. But you know what? When it comes to the church, right? We're talking about the Jews here. What about the church? You know what? The way he looks at the Jews is the same way he looks at the church. Isn't that what's so awesome? It's to, be, to, to know that, you know what? That God looks at us also as a chosen people, as his own special people. And I want to prove this to you. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to read it to you. It's in verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen generation. He's talking to the church here. He's saying, but you are a chosen generation. Just as he chose the Jews, he chose us. A royal priesthood, as he called the Jews to be priests, he also calls us a royal priesthood. And he also calls us a holy nation. Just as he told them that they are his holy people, you and I as a church are his holy nation. And then he goes on to say his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. One thing about the Jews is that they were God's children. One thing about the church is that, the Gentiles, I should say, is that we are what? The adopted children of God. But no one thing about children and adopted children, they both have the same what? The same rights, the same inheritance. There is no difference between the two. As we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, let's keep reading in verse 7 it says, The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all people. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt. This gives us great insight into the Lord. And you may be wondering, what kind of insight is he giving us? Understand one thing about the Lord. The Lord never chooses anybody based on their appearance, based on their behavior, based on their talents, based on their good looks, based on the things that they do. God does not choose anybody based on that. For the Jews, you know what he said? He says, you were chosen because I loved you and because I made a promise to your forefathers. The promise was made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they would be his people. And we know one thing about God is he is faithful to his word. Even though none of the Jews were faithful to the Lord, right? How many of them were committing adultery? They were idolizing false gods. They were committing sexual sin. They were doing things that they shouldn't do. They were walking away from the Lord. And the Lord never said, I will abandon you. But he remained faithful to his promise. You know, when it comes to us, has God chosen us because we're a special people? Have any of you wondered, thinking to yourself, you know what, God chose me only because he knew I was going to choose him. That's not the truth. You know, God didn't choose you because of the good things that you do. He didn't choose me because he says, you know what? I know you're going to do these good things for you. And because of that, you know what? I'm going to choose you as a child of God. God doesn't do things that way. God chooses based on his right to choose. And you know what? You may be thinking, but you know what? I thought I had the free will to choose God or not. You know what? You also have the right to choose whether you want to be a child of God or not. And God, but you're saying that God chose us. And then you're saying that I have the right to choose. You know what? The Bible teaches on both parts. And we can't figure this out. You and I, in our minds, will never figure out how God's election and our free choice work together. There's no way that we can do that. And some of us have tried, right? 
I know in my mind, I have tried to figure that out and there is no way that I can do that. But I rest in the word of God. And what God says that, you know what? You can choose me and know also that I have chose you. And so I just rest in knowing that, you know what? My thoughts are not his thoughts. And in that, I believe and I have faith in both parts. See, one thing about God's word is that, you know what? We weren't called to be a people to understand it completely. We can't. We can't come to understand the complete mind of Christ, of God. You know what? His word, every time you read his word, doesn't he reveal something different to us? His word is beyond limit. There are so many great treasures in his word that when we read one verse one day, we read it again another day, and it talks to us differently. That is how amazing the word of God is. And this is why he tells us that not my thoughts are your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Let's keep reading in verse 9. It says, Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore you shall keep the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which I command you today to observe them. You know what? When I read this, the first thing that stood out to me is that the God that we serve is the true and the living God. He tells him this. He says, therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God. There is no one else like Him. If you ever wanted to know if He is God, rest and be assured that He is. Only God could do the things that He has done. Only God can do the things that He has done in our lives and in the lives of others. When we go back and look into history to verify whether the things of the Bible are accurate and are true, there is nothing in the Word of God that has been discredited by history. The Word of God is true. We know that the Jews, they were delivered by the hand of God out of Egypt. And this is a fact. And in knowing that this is the truth, what God could come against the true and the living God to prevent this from happening? It just didn't happen. The other thing that stands out when I read this is in verse 9, it says that the God that we serve is a faithful God. Aren't you so glad that God is faithful to keep His promises? Every time you read the Word of God, you know that God is faithful to keep whatever He has spoken in it. No matter what you do, know that God will be faithful, even if you in yourself are not faithful. And thirdly, what I see here is that God repays those who hate Him. You know, He was referencing the people of Canaan. But we know that everyone, as we talked about on Sunday, everyone who hates God, who rejects God, who doesn't come to faith, to the faith in Jesus Christ, will face the judgment of God. And this is called the great white throne judgment. And we know that they will face death and destruction in the lake of fire. But God is faithful to those who love him, he says. And he adds another thing. He says, and who keeps his commandments. He is faithful to those who love him and to who keep his commandments. You and I, and we talked about this. You and I, we cannot just say we love him with our lips and not declare it with our actions. Love is always displayed through action. Love is displayed in the things that you do. If you say that you truly love the Lord, then you're going to do as He says. Because you love Him. Just as we obey our parents and we obey our loved ones, we do it because we love them. And we display this in our obedience to them. If we call Jesus Christ our Lord, then He must be the master of our lives. And the Lord says that 
If you love me, you will do as I say. These are his words. And he says it here too. How many of the church people call themselves Christians and do the opposite of what the word of God says? You know, they may confess Jesus with their lips, but it hasn't been done with their hearts. Because if it was done with their hearts, then they would live differently. They would be doing as God says. You and I have to come to a place of realizing this, that if we truly call ourselves Christians, then we must be doing as the Lord says. And one thing that we know, that when you obey the Lord, you receive so much in return. And what is it that we receive in return? Let's read in verse 12. It says, And it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which, which, which he swore to your fathers. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock, in the land of which he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all people. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt, which you have known, but will lay them all on those who hate him. You know, one thing that we know is that God was telling the Jews here, if you guys obey me, he's going to bless you. He's going to love you. He's going to multiply you. And to know that God was with him and God was blessing him, you know what, the God of the universe would show his compassion and his mercy and his kindness and to bless him. It was just so awesome for the Jews to know this. You know what he said? He says, you know what, for the women, the women are going to have lots of children. Isn't that awesome? Some of you women may be saying, oh, no. But you know what? The blessings of God is to be fruitful, isn't it? To have children. You know, one of the things that we know is that he told them, I'm going to bless you guys and I'm going to allow you to be fruitful, right? I mean, they were building a nation that they would be numbered like what? The sands of the sea and that, like the stars in the sky. Have you looked at the sky lately? How beautiful it is with the rain that has come down and the winds that have been blowing? You see the stars. You know, millions and millions of stars that are up there. He says he will multiply them. He says they will, the land will be fruitful, the grain, the wine, the oil, the cattle, the flock. They will all be in abundance. If they were just to do as the Lord says. Does the Lord work today this way? This is a question for us, right? Does the Lord work this way today? You know, we know in Matthew 6.33, what does God tell us there? He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Understand one thing is that God can bless, and we know that he does. You know what? How can God resist blessing an obedient child? But the scriptures also tell us, see, there are two sides to this, is that we will also come to a time of lacking. You know what? This is the way it is. Sometimes we have, and sometimes we don't have. You know, the, the Lord blesses and the Lord takes away. And understand one thing, is that we do not preach prosperity by faith. Because there are times when the Lord is going to subtract. But we know one thing about the Lord, and one thing about His Word, is that here we're going to give you the full counsel, the truth of God. And we know that the truth of God tells us that he blesses and he takes away. And one thing we know is that Paul, right? Paul was always in the will. Oh, well, I shouldn't say always, but we know that Paul was doing the will of God. And even Paul lacked at times, right? He says, but in all times I was always content, whether I had or whether I didn't. And we know that as Job reminded us, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be what? The name of the Lord. As we go into verse 17, so we could finish up here, it says, If you should say in your heart, 
These nations are greater than I. How can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The, tri- the great trials with your, which your eyes saw, the signs and the wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out, so shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. One thing that we see here is that the Lord wants to remind his people about fear. The Lord is telling his people, you know what? I don't want you fearing the enemy. He reminds his people, don't be afraid. Understand one thing about me. I'm God. And I can destroy your enemies. We serve a great and a mighty God. Never forget that. The message that he gave to the Jews, do you want to know one thing? It's the same message he gives to us. As we went in Ephesians chapter 12, I mean chapter 6, let's, let, I'll go back to Ephesians chapter 6 and I'm going to read something to you. In Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 10 he says, Finally, my brethren, he says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. He's telling us, you know what? You don't need to be afraid. You know what he's telling you? He's telling you to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's not your might that's going to defeat the enemy, this spiritual enemy that we have. It is the power of God that does it. See, one thing we know is that faith and fear are opposites. Understand that. Faith and fear do not come together. If we trust in the Lord, we're going to have faith in Him. And we're going to trust in Him. And we're going to say, you know what, Lord? You're going to take care of these things. If we walk by fear, then we're not walking by the Spirit of God. Because God tells us that we do not have a spirit of fear, but of power of love, and of sound mind. See, as we walk in faith, God says, do not fear. I am great. I am mighty. I am your God. And there is no reason to do this. Verse 21 reminds us of this. He says, you shall not be terrified of them, for the Lord your God, the great and an awesome God, is among you. Imagine that. Isn't it awesome to know that God is great and God is awesome? He is a great and the awesome God that is among us. That same God that was with them, dwelling with them, not in them, but he was in their presence. You know, for us, you know what I love? Is that God dwells in us. When we give ourselves to Jesus Christ, when we say yes to the Lord, you know that God sends his spirit to dwell in you and God comes to dwell in your hearts. Isn't that amazing? And so he tells us, you know what? Understand, don't be terrified. The Lord your God is among you. For us as a church, he is in us. Verse 22 says, But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you and will inflict defeat upon them until they are destroyed. You know, as we see, I'm sorry, I missed verse 22, didn't I? Verse 22, I'm sorry, let's go back. It says, And the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. You know, as we see, as we see this, understand one thing. The Lord says, I'm not going to wipe out the nations immediately because if I wipe them out on my own immediately, because he wiped them out after that, but he says, if I do it now, then guess what's going to take over? All the beasts. The beasts are going to multiply and they're going to run rapid and they're going to overtake the land. But the Lord is saying, He says here, He says, you know what? I'm going to take them out little by little. God has His perfect timing in doing things. You know what? When we look at the pattern of God, and I talked about this, I believe this Sunday or last Thursday, the Lord has a way of taking His time, doesn't He? And this is what the Lord does. When the Lord created the heavens and the earth, He took His time. When the Lord multiplied the people, He took His time. When the Lord delivered the people out of Egypt, He took His time. When the Lord 
brought them into the land of Canaan. He could have just destroyed all the enemies, but he took his time. God is in, God is in no rush to do anything. How many of us want things done immediately when we're in a trial? I think all of us, right? We want them over, right? We want them to happen fast. But understand one thing about the character of God. If you look at what God does, He takes His time. There is much patience in God. And one of the things that the Lord wants us to learn through our trials is what? Patience. See, when we, be, when we learn to be patient just as He is, this is a good quality. This is a good character trait. This is actually coming to a place of imitating God. This is what he talks about in James chapter 1, verse 2, right? He says, let patience have its perfect work. Understand one thing about God. He is patient. He's not in the rush of doing things. Just as he's building up this church, God is in no rush to do it. He's going to do it one by one. And he's going to build it up and he's going to multiply it and multiply it and multiply it. Where we're going to need a new building or a bigger building. It's going to be amazing what God is going to do. This is the business that he's in. And you know what? And this is how he does things. And with that, we're going to finish in verse 23 to 26. It says, but the Lord your God will deliver them over to you and will inflict defeat upon them until they are destroyed. And he will deliver their kings into your hand, and you will destroy their name from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. You shall burn the carved images of their God with fire. You shall not covet the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be snared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. Nor shall you bring an abomination into your home, lest you be doomed to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest it and utterly abhor it, for it is an accursed thing the lord in summary as we have to finish here god says i will defeat your enemies i will deliver the king into your hands but i want you to do one thing as i do these things i want you to burn all their images and the images that they would make of these false gods were made of gold and silver and he says you know what i don't want you touching or taking any of that gold and silver and bringing it into your home he told them you know what take all the other booty right he can take all the other stuff and their silver and their gold that was in other locations. But he says, don't take it from the idols that were made by their hands. See, one thing we know is that this gold and this worship was made into an image of false gods. And God says, you know what? Burn them up. They are a curse. You know what? Hate these things. These things take away my worship. And the way I feel about them is the way I want you to feel about them. And don't bring them into your home. You know, as we think about these things, there are many lessons for us to learn. You know, when it comes to being separated, not to be unequally yoked, not to do the things that the world does, it's not easy. If we want to be in God's perfect will, we will do as he says. If we want to be in God's permissive will, which is really sin against God, understand one thing. He will allow you to do these things. But as you learn from these things, he wants you to come back into his perfect will. God loves us. And one thing about love for his children, just like when we love our children, we know what's best for our children, don't we? God knows what's best for us. And this is why he's laid out the things that he has laid out. Just to keep us on that right path. And with this, we're going to close. Lord Jesus, we just thank you, Lord, for your glorious word. We thank you, Lord, for the many lessons that you taught us today. Lord, there was so much that you gave us, Lord. May we meditate on it, Lord. May we remember it, Lord. May we ponder on it, Lord. May you move by your spirit, Lord, guiding us to do these things, enabling us to do it. Because by your spirit, or without your spirit, we can do it. We know that your word reminds us that without you, we can't do anything. But with you, we can do all things. 
If there's anyone here <clears throat> that may not have surrendered themselves to the Lord, if there's anyone here that may not have a relationship with Him, if there's anyone here that may have just professed faith in Jesus by their words and not by their actions, you know what? Today is a, a day to get right with Him. Today is a day to ask Him for forgiveness and to turn away from these sins. This is what repentance means. If any of you want to do this, I ask that you will raise your hand and we will pray for you. Does anybody want to do this before we close? Does anybody want to get right with the Lord to turn from your sin, to ask Him for forgiveness? If there's anyone here, just raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anybody? Anybody want to do this? Anybody? Lord, you spoke. Remind us, Lord, just of the things that you have spoken here, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your glorious word. And we thank you, Lord, for your words are words of eternal life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.